chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship, ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. That's always a real good thing when people get in trouble and say, Lord, save us. That is like the best place you can ever be. You might think that when you're in a storm, you're in a real bad place. But if you're saying, Lord, save me, you're actually in a real good place. As a matter of fact, the best possible place. There is not a better place than having the Lord show up and save you. Verse 26, And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I can't help but think of the story of Jonah and how the mariners that were real used to the sea were shocked at what happened with Jonah. And it scared them to death, and they made vows. Yes. They repented. And similarly, these disciples of the Lord, they knew it. They were fishermen. They had been out there many a time before. They got it. They knew the little, you know, red sky in the morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. They knew all that stuff. And yet Jesus could do some stuff they had never seen before. They could say with the others, we never saw it on this fashion. All right, but this isn't the only time something like this happens. Look a few pages over at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, verse 22. Jesus, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And they, when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of the truth, thou art the Son of God. I want to preach this morning the cry of the perishing. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us. I pray you send your spirit unworthy, though we are, of that great blessing. But you have, and the Lord Jesus promised that when he went away, he'd send the Comforter, and God, you know that we need him. And I pray that you'd send him to help us to preach these things and help us to receive these things. God, you know I need to receive them as much as anybody. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want
want to say simply this morning that men who are perishing must cry to the Lord for salvation. Now, there are going to be times in your life, times plural, it ain't going to happen just one time, where you're going to be in a mess and you're going to need Jesus. Amen. Now, of course, mainly to not go to hell when you die, but also there will come other times in your life. Now, we read a couple of texts here, and in the first one, Jesus had just healed the centurion servant and Peter's mother-in-law and many other sick and devil-possessed people. I think Dad even referred to it in the Sunday school lesson. Isn't that interesting? Even as he was trying to get away, he's counseling the people. And by the time Jesus gets away from the crowd, he's tired. Now, we're Bible believers here and believe the fundamentals of the faith, and we think Jesus was the Son of God. We firmly believe Jesus was the Son of God. But I'll tell you something else we believe that isn't talked about as much. We also think he was the Son of Man. Amen. We also think he was human. And he got tired. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Sometimes some of the careless things I do is when I'm tired. And Jesus was able to be tired and still handle things right. I will admit it kind of looked like he was in a sleepy bad mood there when they woke him up, though, doesn't it? <laughs> you, why are you doubting? Where's your faith? <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, he's tired, and while he was still in the ship, he fell asleep. And a storm arose. I'm talking a, a bad storm covering the ship with waves. There wasn't a little splash. The ship was covered with waves, it says. And the disciples were scared and awoke Jesus with this cry, Lord, save us, we perish. And of course, Jesus was able to make an immediate calm. Now the disciples were no less scared than they had been moments before. But this time, instead of scared of the storm, they were scared of the Lord. Oh, the fear of God's a good thing. Yes, it is. It will keep you out of some trouble. And I want to say this morning, among other things, that when you see the power of God, it should scare you. And I know you're in a bad place when there is no fear of God before your eyes. And one way I know that our country is going down, the old and the young, the rich and the poor, the men and the women, the boys and the girls, is there is too little fear of God in our day. Yes. People are scared of everything but God. They've got every mental disease in this world and talking about how they don't have fear of God and don't want to live according to old-fashioned things. and They're liberated from that stuff. Yeah, and you're about to have a bad shipwreck and there won't be anybody there to save you because you rejected him. That's where you're headed. Uh, when you see God's power, it should scare you. Now, of course, this is a temporal, physical salvation, but many of the main points of the story are applicable in spiritual, eternal salvation. So let's, let's look at a few obvious truths from this that I believe will help you. Number one, man is perishing. We are going down. Now, every age has its different uh, weaknesses and its different faults and failures and sins that are a little different than other ages. But we've sure got ours. Amen. Everybody that's studying is saying our families are falling apart, our economy is falling apart, our mental health is falling apart. I wish I had a nickel for every time I hear somebody say mental health, mental health, mental health. And I know that sometimes there is a chemical and hormonal imbalance. I know that sometimes there, somebody gets a lick in the head and it affects things. I, I understand. I do think those things are real. But just as often... The problem is, you've rejected God, and it doesn't work Amen. without God. 
Human were never intended to live independent of God. Jesus told his disciples, without me, ye can do nothing. Man is perishing. The Greek word here is uh, destroy. The English word here means destroy. So as usual, the Greek offers no extra light. Why in the world would you take a superior language and try to uh, define it and interpret it by an inferior language? Amen. There is a reason God got his word out of Greek just as fast as he could. From the perspective of history, he left the New Testament in Greek very shortly, a hundred years, and he was done with Greek and moved on to better things. And if you don't understand that, you need to study some church history. But uh, there are many things like that. What would you think if God uh, blessed us with a little baby, and yet we thought that 20 years later it should just be that baby? Isn't that the original version? <laughs> Let me tell you what God does. He has things grow and improve mm -hmm. and mature and learn. And uh, that's what happens with the way that God gave his word. Now, I do not mean that there is no advantage to studying Greek or Hebrew. The Word of God does good in any language. But when you have it in a superior language like English, then obviously take it in that one, especially when it's the language that you speak. Because you need to be interested in what God is saying to you today. Not what he said 2,000 years ago. What about what, he said, what about what he's saying now? Now don't get me wrong, in the end, he's a Hebrew God, and I'm sure we'll all be speaking Hebrew. But right now, I'm interested in what he's saying to me today. Hey. And I'll tell you how he's speaking today. He's speaking in a King James Bible in the King's English. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in. So man is perishing. We know this from God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So we're perishing. That's why we need to believe on him. John 3, 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. A lot of people have an idea that we're down here on, in life having a sort of a trial period. And after our trial period is over, we go before God, and if there's something along the lines of our good deeds on one side of the scale and our bad deeds on the other side of the scale, and we'll find out then if we're condemned or blessed. That's not the way it works. Amen. If you're not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, the decision is already made. You're already condemned right now. Amen. But you can believe on him and get out of that condemnation Amen. while you're still living. So we know this from God's word. Uh, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Man is perishing. But we don't only know this from God's word. We know this from observation. You look at our society, and as I already referred a minute ago, um, you know there is something wrong. People don't know how to spend their money. They don't know how to spend their time. They don't know how to find the right partner. They don't know how to make the right friends. They don't know where to go to college, where to move, where to work. They are just, they've got so many options, they can't make a decision on any of them. And they're scatterbrained and by, by the world's own admission, and I read you the statistics sometimes on Wednesday nights in the Signs of the Times department, as I call it, by their own admission, we're the most mentally ill that the world has ever seen. That's their words, not mine. You know what the problem is? We observe that 
man is perishing. Our society is going down. It's going under. There are people that are not Bible-believing Baptists like me that are saying the West is in total decline. Yes, it is. And they're saying they have they can't think of a time in history that a civilization ever just completely destroyed itself. I remember back in uh, I think it was I don't remember exactly I think it was around 2005 I came across that uh, article of, of the USS America and how they took it out in the ocean and bombed it and made the thing sink and I remember thinking what an allegory that was that the United States sank her own ship. <laughs> what a thing. And uh, that's what we're doing in the whole Western civilization. We are yeah. sinking our own ship. Man is perishing. We know this from God's word. We know it from observation. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Let me tell you about your life. There's going to be some strength. There's going to be some labor. There's going to be some sorrow. That was true back in Moses' day, who, by the way, wrote that song. That's true uh, ever since then, and it's going to be true until the Lord comes back. We know by observation we're perishing. 1 Peter 1.24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Paul says, Our outward man perish. We see it in sickness, we see it in death, we see it in weakness, we see it in depression and every other kind of mental illness. And here's the problem. If we're perishing, this involves an eternal, irreparable perishing. It has eternal, everlasting consequences. The Bible says that in the end times, the Lord's going to show up. It describes it this way, Paul does in 2 Thessalonians 1. He says, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The Lord says, hey, look, I gave everything up to and including the blood of my only begotten son. And you said, forget it, I ain't interested. <laughs> Let me play my video game. Let me watch my movie. Let me go do what I feel like doing. Yeah, well, he, he took note of that. He noticed. Jude 5, Therefore I put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. All right, so man is perishing. We know it from the word, we know it from observation, and we know that it has eternal, everlasting consequences. There is something wrong with the church that claims to be a Bible-believing church, and they never mention hell or the second coming. Hell is covered in the Bible. The second coming is covered in the Bible extensively. So man is perishing. All right, second thing I want to notice is salvation is of the Lord. Both the disciples uh, in the first text and Peter himself in the second text had the right idea saying, Lord help us. <laughs> Lord help us. Like a child looking up to daddy to protect them from something. You go to the right one when you go there. Amen. Uh, salvation is of the Lord in its origin. When salvation showed up, it was because God thought of it. 
1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, you may not have known about it, and certain, certainly you couldn't have known about it. You weren't even born yet. But God, in his foreknowledge, saw that man would fall, and of course they would. And don't get too mad at Adam and Eve. You would have fallen too. Amen. And uh, he saw in his foreknowledge that man was going to fall, and guess what he did? He said, if I'm going to create a race that's going to fall, I'm not going to have the responsibility for that. I'm going to make a way that every one of them can be get out of it. Though it costs me the most dear thing to me, I'm going to make a way. He had a plan. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. It's not only of the Lord in its origin, it's of the Lord in its execution. In other words, he carried it out. He actually did it. I've had many a great plan. It was just going to take a little too much effort. I just never did it. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. There's been many a time I was all set up about doing it, and I told two or three people I was going to do it, and I was uh, determined until I actually faced the daunting task and said, Ugh, forget that. <laughs> I'm not doing it. God the Father drew up this plan. In eternity past, I guess you could call it, and actually carried it through. He actually, actually sent the Lord Jesus who actually lived a sinless life in less than average conditions and yet was without sin and died a horrible death and rose again the third day to save us. He actually did it. 1 John 4.10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For Christ also, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. I said a minute ago, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, and now I say, Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. It's of the Lord in its origin, in its execution, and in its distribution. He gave it out. He actually made it happen. Who, who does he give it to? Does he give it to everyone? Yes, everyone that will take it. But I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't force you to. It'll be Christmas time here in a month or two. And uh, we'll be giving out some gifts. And when we give them, there are, I hope, no strings attached. They're just a free gift. But somebody doesn't have to take them. And it's the same way with the Lord. He gives us, and it's free, but there are those who deny it, reject it. Who is it that does not end up taking God's gift? I'll tell you who it is. People who are not in Jesus Christ. The people that are in Jesus Christ, they get all the benefits. God the Father says, hey, my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came down here and gave everything for you. If you'll take him as a free gift, there's a whole lot more comes with it. Not only do you not burn in hell, but you get adopted into my family. You get eternal life in heaven. I would, I would have to preach a whole different sermon or write a whole book on all the other things that happen to you. Amen. It's bestowment, who it's given to. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Ephesians 1.4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him, 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. It says we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. How in the world could that happen? We weren't even born yet. I'll tell you how. The same foreknowledge of God and foresight of God that saw that man would fall also saw that he was going to make a way out and saw who was going to be in Christ. And therefore, he could give that even back then in whoever was going to be in Christ. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, with that comes everything else. You don't have to join our church. You don't even have to visit our church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to give any money. As a matter of fact, if you try to, it won't work, because then you'd be trusting some of your works instead of his finished work. And still, there are some who reject it. Why? Why would you do that? And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, yes, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Somebody's blinded your mind. Dummy. Bless <laughs> your heart. Salvation of the, is of the Lord in its origin, in its execution, in its bestowment. In other words, who it's given to. But I do want to say this from these passages. I learned that the Lord's salvation requires appealing to Christ. In both cases, it was urgent. The ship they were afraid was going down. Peter already was going down. He didn't say, Lord, at your convenience, <laughs> anything. They said, Lord, save us, we perish. Peter said, Lord, save me. There was some urgency behind it. Oh, how aggravating it is when there is a very urgent need and people are lackadaisical about it. It's an urgent appeal. You know why it should be an urgent appeal? I'll tell you why. Because sin gets worse. And your problems will get worse. And your addictions will get worse. And your bad habits and your bad relationships and your bad condition will get worse. Death is coming. And hell is coming. And yet, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all you have to do. Deep. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. Let's see here if I have this one. Luke 18, verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Hey, these things are urgent. It's an urgent appeal. Another thing about it is it's an appeal of sincere repentance. Uh, we're in Matthew here. Let me read from over here in Mark, just the next book over. Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Verse 41, And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, 
What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? A few verses earlier, they weren't afraid of him. They didn't care to rebuke him. They didn't care to fuss at him a little bit. Three verses later, they're saying, uh, what is this? We shouldn't have talked to him that way. Total change. Yes. Every now and then, God will remind you of his power. And I'll tell you what that'll tend to do is remind you of his fear. Repentance, I often illustrate as going one direction and turning around and going the other. And once in a while, you'll get a little too familiar with God and you'll talk to him a little bit like you're rebuking him and his power will show up. He won't even have to rebuke you most of the time. Just when his power shows up, it reminds you that he could rebuke you and put you in your place real bad. And a lot of times, that's enough. The Bible says over there in Acts 17, in the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted. Acts 17.30, uh, we already referred to. Acts 20, verse 21, Paul preached uh, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an urgent appeal. It's an appeal of sincere repentance, and it's an appeal of sincere faith. They knew exactly who to go to when they were in that bad of trouble. They believed. Now, here's the one that can help me if anybody can. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, not through money. For by grace are you saved through works. No. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's not even a faith you come up with. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, yeah, another yeah. passage says. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. How many times are you going to say faith and believe in that verse? You put your trust on the one that you believe in. Somebody said religion is reliance. What are you relying on? What do you believe in? It's an appeal of sincere faith. I'll read to you from Acts 13 here as we talk about these things. Acts 13, let's see, I think I want verse 38. There it is. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. It was an appeal of repentance, but it was also an appeal of faith, sincere faith. They believed. All right, now I'm going to say this as we get ready to close here in a minute. Appealing to Christ will never fail. Amen. That's good. You go to the Lord Jesus, it works every time. Uh, Dad was referring to, the, uh, to a passage that tells this same general time in Christ's life. And you know what it said? It said, he healed every one of them. It says in some places, he healed them all. Not one time do we read that some sick were brought to Jesus. He said, mm, boy, I can't figure this one out. <laughs> this one's too hard for me. <laughs> Is anything too hard for God? Not no. one thing. Is there any case too difficult? How about the time that uh, the body had been dead for a while? Uh, the Lord can do them all. The Lord can take care of all of them. Good point. Appealing to Christ shall never 
failed. John 7, 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Revelation 22, 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will. Let him take the water of life freely. You know how I know that he will never turn me down? Because he's invited me to come. What if I show up to Sean and Amanda's house and, uh, you know, just sit down and make myself at home and say something about uh, what's for supper and that sort of thing, and they're talking to each other. Did you tell Brother Bob to come over tonight or something? Is he supposed to be here for supper? What's going on? That'd be strange, wouldn't it? But if they called me up and invited me over... I can make myself at home. They invited me. They told me to come. Let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ told you to come. He invited you to come. You have every right to, with confidence, go sit down at his supper table. He told you to do so. You have an invitation. Therefore, I know coming to Christ will never fail because he told you to do it. Number two, I know it's his will. Ezekiel 33, 11, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? It is not God's will for somebody to perish. The New Testament says it again in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not his will. I, number one, I have his invitation. Number two, I know it's not his will. And thank God he's never let the first believer perish. Not one. I'll read to you from Romans chapter 8, that wonderful chapter. Tell many, many blessings that we get being yes. in fellowship with God. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It does not say none of these things can separate you from the love of God. Some of those things can. But they cannot separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, you get in Him, there's not one thing can separate you from His love. You are in. You are home. Amen. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You get in there, you're there. You know what we sing sometimes? We sing, did ever saint find this friend forsake him? No! Not one! Amen. Or sinner find that he would not take him? No! Not one! If you're not saved, that's on you, not him. Amen. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to go through what he went through for you and said you can get in with that free. And you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ and my family. And if you're not interested in that, I don't guess there's any help for you. Hebrews 7.25. Somebody might say, well, wait a minute. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Holy Son of God. I don't deserve it. The Lord Jesus Christ, I can't live up to that. Yeah, I'll grant you you can't. I can't either. But I'll tell you what I do know how to do. Take a free gift when it's offered to me. 
I'll do it. And furthermore, he invited me to do it. And furthermore, it's not his will for me to perish. And we've seen the verses. You know what? I'll have to take that. Amen. If it's what God wants, it may not make logical sense to me, but I'll take it. And he can do it. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've sinned. God Almighty made a way that will work for everybody. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. But again, not come unto God. There are a lot of ways, a lot of people trying to get to God in a lot of ways. But there's one way that works every cotton picking time. <laughs> they come unto God by him. You come by him, it'll work every single time. Not one time will God the Father say, well, now, I will admit you're coming by Jesus, but you're pretty bad, man. I don't know. There's not one that ever saint find this friend forsake him. No, not one. Or sinner find that he would not take him. No, not one. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. All right, today we saw the cry of the perishing disciples and how it brought salvation from the Lord Jesus. Now, spiritually speaking, all men need an eternal salvation typified by the disciples' temporal salvation in these texts. But here's the problem. Many do not even see that they're perishing. We live in a day where all we ever do is salve people's conscience. The self-help literature is brimming with it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yeah. You couldn't help it. Somebody else caused all this. Amen. And if you don't see that you're lost and guilty before God, you will never look for salvation. Yeah. You'll always think it's somebody else's fault. And I guess they'll get the punishment, but I'm fine. I'm okay. You ain't done nothing wrong. You've just been lonely too long, the old country song says, to justify some sin. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Before you'll turn to God, you'll have to see that you're a guilty sinner before God. So many do not see that they're perishing. I hope that through the preaching of the Word of God, they'll see the imminent danger of their life without Christ and will come to Him for salvation. Many others know they're perishing. They're honest enough to admit, yeah, before I die, I better make some things right with God. But what they don't see is the urgency and the imminency of their danger. They don't see that they're condemned even now. They figure, yeah, right now there's probably more sins on my account than there are good deeds. But don't worry, I got 50 years of life probably to correct that. I got plenty of time. You may not. You may not. And furthermore, that's a wrong way of thinking anyway. It doesn't have anything to do with how many good deeds you've got. It has to do with how many good deeds Jesus has. And he's got plenty to go around. Are you in him? Many others know they're perishing but don't see the urgency. Others do not realize that their salvation comes only through and completely through the Lord. I've tried to point that out every time. In him. By him. That's the only way God recognizes. I've heard people so many times say, we're all just going to the same God, just taking different routes. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only way. Thank God there are those who know they're perishing and would receive salvation. How encouraging and hopeful is their case that the Lord is willing to save and inviting to save and able to save them 
eternally. That's the ones maybe we'll reach. And you know how we'll reach? By planting the seed of the Word of God. Support missionaries that you know are planting the seed of the Word of God. Support preachers that you know are planting the seed of the Word of God. And every opportunity you get, plant the seed of the Word of God, whether it be with Bible verses, gospel tracts, getting people under the sound of the preach, anything you can do, because that'll reach the ones. A sower went forth to sow, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, some went in places where there was not much earth, but some fell on good ground and bore fruit, some 30, some 60, some 90. God help us to get the word of God out there. And if you are saved, rejoice that you're kept by a power that can never fail you. There are going to be some times Amen. in your lifetime when you're going to be in the water and you're seeing you're starting to sink. Oh, buddy. And you're going to be happy to say, Lord, save me. And there are going to be some times you have Jesus with you, but you think, well, he's in there asleep. He ain't worried about what's happening with me. And I tell you, the thing to do is, figuratively speaking, because obviously God never actually sleeps, Jesus was an exception while he was in his humanity, but God never sleeps. Uh, but figuratively, it'll seem like he's sleeping and not hearing you want it sometimes. Wake him up, figuratively speaking, and say, Lord, save us. We perish. Because from time to time, that urgent need is going to come up in your life, in your family's life. And I'm glad I'm saved, and I have the Lord yeah, to call yeah. when those times come. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, and I pray your spirit would bear witness to the truth.